Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. Welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. I am Chris, and with me today is uh, Eric Giesbrecht. Eric, tell everyone about yourself. I, uh, I'm a born and raised Calgarian. I've been living here almost 40 years now. Chris and I, I guess, go way back. Go way, way back. I work in media as a producer. So you'll find me uh, either peering through spreadsheets and numbers, or uh, every now and again the eyepiece. Perfect. And Eric has never heard the Sugar Cube's debut, uh, Life's Too Good, uh, an album that I have grown up with, as you know, if you have watched our first month worth of episodes. So, I didn't discover the Sugar Cubes previous to Bjork, obviously. Uh, through most of the 90s, Bjork stood athwart alternative rock like a weird, dove-gowned colossus, and she was pretty hard to escape. Even if you didn't like her music, you had to have an opinion about her. By the time I found the Sugar Cubes, Debut had already come out and Post had already come out. But I learned about it through a group of friends that I spent most of my weekends during high school with, primarily Bevis, Greg, and Phoebe. It was the same crowd through whom I discovered Frank Zappa and Bootsy Collins and Pink Floyd. Some hallucinogens were involved, obviously. There are Bjork albums. I do like Bjork a lot. I have her catalog, and if she put out a record tomorrow, I would definitely buy it. But there is an unhinged enthusiasm to the Sugar Cubes that, from an adult performer exerting control over her image, I think is absent. And there is also the presence of Mr. Enar Orn, who I would not have said beat poetry was a necessary <laughs> counterpoint to Bjork. <laughs> but when you hear it, it kind of fits. It does kind of fit. So, Eric, you have now listened to Life's Too Good by the Sugar Cubes for the first time. Tell me what you think. Much like yourself, I, I do like Bjork's work. And, of course, I mean, I think probably for both of us, like on mainstream radio here in Calgary, Big Time Sensuality was kind of like the first breakout single I was aware of. Oh, yeah, that song was everywhere. And, uh, you know, like, like you say, that, that's, you know, a few years post Sugar Cubes at, at that point. But I think there's a lot in this album that predicts that, where, it, you know, it, it's so difficult, I think, coming at an album out of context. For me, there's a lot to like about Bjork's work with the Sugar Cubes, but I never get to hear that as the first work that she did. No, I also did miss that context. It would be interesting to be there and just have that, here's something by a new artist that you have no expectations of. Yeah, absolutely, right? And, and I think so many times when you circle back to an artist's back catalog, you're already, it's already been reframed by time, right? That you've heard later work or it's in uh, you know, a different social context and things like that. So you know, on a first listen, it felt solid. It's a solid album for sure. 
but as somebody who's already sort of you know seen the seen the Bjork thing, listened to the Bjork vocals, like they must have been just so fresh and grabby at that point. Like to see that come out in uh, in the UK and and be embraced the way that it was in the context of the mid eighties. Yeah, I mean, who else was doing indie music in the UK at the time? What was they were on the same shelves as the Smiths or the Cure. Exactly, and almost a counterpoint to the Smiths in a lot of cases, right? So I think, you know, when I, when I went through it again, I really tried to let go of what I knew about 90s music, and about York in the 90s and things like that, and just really try to put myself back in that 80s place and try to come at it with fresh ears, I guess, almost. And it changed for me. It changed for me doing that. And I think, as you mentioned, the, the unbridled enthusiasm and lack of self-censorship really comes through. You can tell that she's the standout in the group. Like, it's the production's a little bit all over the place. Beat poetry is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it. And it even has a place there. It made me think, what's Enar doing now? Where's our Sugar Cubes reunion album? Bjork's done some great work in the intro. Everybody else seems to be busy in Iceland. I, I took a little look around in their Wikipedia pages. They're still making this and that. But, uh... I want more cubes. Yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely see this being the sort of group that could reunite to great success. Yeah, it, the album itself isn't particularly dated. Yeah, it's too weird to sound dated. Yes, it doesn't sound like it's moored to any era or scene, and it's got such a an eclectic group of sounds with it. Like it's not like you're in a case like you know Smiley Smile or something like that where it's got just that's like the zeitgeist of that time and place embedded in that sound. It's nebulous and flowing and and kind of timeless in a way. Uh, organic. It's something that developed rather than mm-hmm. something that was created. Mm-hmm. And it, as a complaint against pop music, you know, the other connection that it kind of twigged in my brain, and I'd be curious to know what you think about this, is it's almost on the same level as birthday party but without the no wave aspect it has that same sort of frenetic energy that same complaint against the super manicured pop music yeah yeah but without no wave. yeah and the same you will already be familiar with this singer before you discover their band yeah and have been uh you've had your first experience with him burnt already blixa bargeld may also have done some poetry on the birthday party. That I would believe. <laughs> I find it hard to get through that album. But <laughs> it's right, but it's very. What's the nicest thing I can say about birthday party? <laughs> I'm glad I did. It's enthusiastic. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. It's exuberant, and it's interesting to watch a singular performer, in both cases, mm-hmm. not allowed to exert the level of control that you're used to from them. Yeah. Because a Bjork record or a Cave record, it's them and they're working with a team and they have musicians and they have producers. There's like a level of curation there. But the focus is on the performer. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a band made up of presumably equals or approaching equals. Yeah, and, and you know, geniuses in their own right. You get a lot more collaborative feel. And it, and it is interesting, like you said, to feel that enthusiasm come through the album. Like it's musicians just making music. I mean, Life's Too Good was never intended to be a commercial success. 
It wasn't crafted that way. It wasn't, you know, it, it caught. But like you say, that, that grew out of this organic process. And I think today we're missing that in a lot of ways. I think that's, well, certainly that's true on commercial radio. But you're right. Like, there isn't the same sense of playfulness once an artist gets to a certain place. And I mean, I think with the rise of YouTube stars and people like that, you know, the Katy Perry's and the Taylor Swift's, even those musicians that are working at home, doing their own thing, I think in the back of their mind, there's always that idea that I could self-style, I could self-censor my way into a big commercial deal, or I could become a star by doing this. And I think in some ways, kind of the purity of a lot of that music production is gone. That feels, yeah, very much the case. In addition, the technology exists now that you can, in the comfort and privacy of your own home, put together a track that is roughly comparable. You can become Skrillex on the cans. And why wouldn't you? <laughs> well, I mean, why wouldn't anyone? <laughs> I have no opinion on Skrillex. <laughs> I was just throwing it out there. I love Skrillex, you know, as much as the next guy. Do you? Is Skrillex I, uh, good? It's... I genuinely don't know. Someone on this show will force me to listen to Skrillex one day. And then I'll have an opinion, but I have no inclination to looking into it before that. It, it's dance music. It's like any other dance music. Fair enough. Fair, I like to dance. Yeah, yeah. I, I even picked a, a dance music album for you. Dance, I, dance metal, shall we say. I presume uh, on the correct combination of club drugs. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he would be super fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But all of that said, <laughs> all of that said, life's too good. No, that was my statement. It is. It's really good. I once met him. It really surprised me. He put me in a bathtub. <laughs> yeah. Made me squeaky clean. <laughs> I mean, there is a strange, pervy thread underlying the whole album that was a little... You know, okay, so we take the big hit, right? Birthday. She's five years old. He's sewing birds in her knickers. Her friend next door. This is not a, this is not a familial figure... This is the friend next door who has a beard, mind you. Yep. Old enough to have a beard. From context clues, I'm picking up. This is maybe one of those Icelandic relationships you hear so much about. Is that a trope about Icelandic relationships? <laughs> their, their parliament was actually just dissolved over pardoning pedophiles. That, that is, is a, certainly the that's case. That's a different show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is that kind of underlying tension to some of the songs. Let, let's say there's a, a definite Eastern... A European sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Underlying the album. Which is to say, I don't really understand that sexuality. I haven't grown up in the West. It really takes um, Nicki Minaj to inform me sexually. That's. I mean, I think a lot of people, not our age, but say 20 years younger <laughs> yes. than us, yes. were actually informed sexually <laughs> <laughs> like by Nicki Minaj. If the booty's not right there, I don't know. It's, uh, well, it's it lacks a certain subtlety, but I think uh, I think it's still valid. That's true. And the album does alternate between a weird tension and then explosions of exuberance. Yes, uh, as it plays through, the level of discord keeps you just off your foot enough that you have to be actively interacting with the music as it plays. If that makes sense, this is not good music to chill out to. No, no, I'm not going to clean house to this one. No, you do need to be involved. And Yeah, there's, there's no uh, standout Barbie girl 
on this one. I cannot vacuum to this music. There was never going to be. No. <laughs> you do have to be there in the moment. But, you know, there is also what feels like emotional honesty in the album. Yeah, in a very uh, innocent way, I think. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, Bjork's still very young at that point. Oh, she's... I want to say 18 or 19. She was 12 she... and 77. Yep. And this was 88. So she'd be 23. So, and that, I think that really comes across. That there is sort of a, an emotional naivete to it. But an attractive emotional naivete. I think... Um, Maybe it comes back to your earlier point about self-censorship. Yeah, it never... The impression that I always got from it is no effort was ever put in to putting forward an emotionally honest piece of art. Mm -hmm. With this record, it just never occurred to anyone to do anything but that. Right. Instead of a contrived, yeah, calculated emotional effort. Yeah, it's a group of... Friends together in a studio, it feels like to me, who have gotten a debut on a label and don't know if they'll get a second, throwing every idea that they've had in the time leading up to this, together, a little bit haphazardly, in a really intuitive way. It feels a lot like an art school music project that played a few coffee houses and somehow got a record deal. Yeah, and somehow became one of the musical icons of the second half of the 20th century. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess that's what happens before YouTube. Yeah, I guess. Like, Because <laughs> you're playing some coffee houses around Reykjavik, and uh, you get a deal. Which sounds easier. Doesn't that seem easier? I feel like... <laughs> I feel like, intuitively, the one that you can do in your living room should be easier, and yet here we are. <laughs> you look back and go, maybe it actually isn't easier. It's like internet dating. That should be easier than going to the bar. You would think. I'm not certain that it is. No. I feel like it might be easier, but the downside is downsidier. If you go to a bar and then you meet nobody, you're still at a bar. Correct. Whereas if you meet nobody on the internet, all you realize is that all of the strangers in the world are there, and you still can't find anyone. Yeah. That's a terrible realization. Right? Nobody (laughs) wants that. Nobody wants that. This night's not working out for me. I'll have three more drinks. Dance to Love Cats. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what did I get out of that? Three drinks and dancing to Love Cats. That's what I'm saying. Hello. That is the upside. So what we're saying, kids, is... Go to a bar, I guess. Yeah, go play in the bar. Go play in the coffee shop. You do not have to do this in Reykjavik, although if you have that option... It's very inexpensive to go there. Is it? It absolutely is. I've I've been. I have been. Beautiful city. Beautiful titties as well. I would guess. Presume. (laughs) I I was there with my wife, so... (laughs) Mental note. Probably stand to take a week off and go to Reykjavik. Yeah, so airfare was like 700 bucks return. Seriously? I saw Radiohead. I saw Deftones. Oh my god. And I miss seeing Deanna, <laughs> but I caught them when they were in town recently. Nice. Alright, I may have to do that. I'm, I'm looking for a place to go in March. They have so many music festivals. You can go to Iceland Airwaves. They've got all Icelandic acts at Iceland Airwaves, but of course, there are so many of those being played over here, you will know acts. Uh, they got Secret Solstice, happens on the solstice, so you party under the midnight sun, go to a glacier, rave. During the day, it's DJ stuff. In the evenings, they do the headliners, they've had Foo Fighters, Radiohead. I saw Radiohead in a little soccer hall with fewer than 10,000 people. Oh my god, that sounds good. I was so close to Tom York, I was like 10 feet. I pushed I... the way up there. Got it. Awesome. 
go see Radiohead again. Right. It was majestic. People made big rock signs to hold up, and everybody in Radiohead had their eyes closed through the entire set because that's just how they roll. Yeah, that feels like how they would roll. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't see the crowd even one time. No. I mean, that's their vibe, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> there's a withdrawn aspect to everything they've ever done. There was also a 40-minute sound check because things just didn't sound right. And when they finally nailed it, god damn, I've never heard such a, a well-produced show. Nice. All right. Mental note. Go to Reykjavik. Go to Reykjavik. See a music festival. Yes. Airbnb. It does seem good. 80 bucks a night. Oh. You get the little apartment experience. Nice. Food's super expensive, though, and beer. Beer's... You have to stop at the duty-free. You're allowed to stop on the way in. Buy your booze at the duty-free on the way in. We are delivering public service <laughs> announcements. Right now. On vacation time. Because it's Iceland week. <laughs> It is. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Iceland a lot over the course of this entire month. So, strap in, kids. <laughs> They've all been there already now. I presume. I had a pretty hep crowd, he said, before the podcast even launched. We're presuming a hep crowd. I'm hoping for a hep crowd. <laughs> so, how did Bjork travel from this to International Superstar? Like, that's... well. Weird. My my understanding is like so many Harry Styles before her. She wrote on the contractual wings of the Sugar Cubes for two more albums. Is two that, more albums. Is that right? Yeah. Both of them are terrific. Wrapped it up in 92. And in 93, we see Debut, which is, of course, her second debut as a solo artist. But I think really brought her finally to the North American crowd. It did. And, I mean, it's a great record. It's a classic for a reason. It just feels in the context of what makes it on the radio today like a baffling decision. Here's a game that I like to play with 18-year-olds. Play them radio music from the 80s or 90s ah. and try to convince them that it's radio music. Like when they would play Too New or Timbuk3 on the radio? For example. That would never, ever get on the radio these days. I mean, really, would Swing Revival have had its... Admittedly, 15 minutes in the sun. I mean, that's more than these days if conventional radio was the vehicle for that. I would presume not. I would presume not. I, I don't think they take risks like they used to. No, I, I mean, I mean, we are, in the interests of fairness, coming off a summer in which the biggest hit was a song that is not in English or any genre that had been on the radio previous to it. I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. <laughs> but I look back, you know, I think I first heard Bjork on CJ92, which seems like a very odd statement compared to what CJ92 is doing now. I feel like it was on CJ. Yeah, and I mean, it was a rock station at the time as well. Yeah, yeah. And Bjork is tremendous, but I wouldn't call her rock by any means. Maybe every song was just so weird at the time. Yeah. I mean, there was a weird factor. There was a period at the beginning of the 90s and then again at the tail end of the 90s where commercial music didn't know what it wanted to be. Just not synthesizers. That's yeah. all it seemed to know. It's definitely going to be different from the 80s and we're not sure how. Yes. So they just threw everything at the wall and saw what sticked. Stuck? 
Sticked. Stooked? Stook. They threw everything at the wall and saw what stook. And then again, at the tail end of the decade, there was not a war going on. The economy was doing pretty good. We were all in a good mood and wanted music that reflected that, but nobody agreed on what. Yeah, and I think you make an interesting point, because I've actually talked with a few people about this, is that I think there's a psychological need when the decade changes to eschew that that came before and then decide on what the, the new thing is going to be. And there's some sort of process whereby, yeah, you get this period of weird, undefined, anything's possible before we lock into, oh, it's going to be a boy band cycle or yeah. it's going to be a pop music cycle or it's going to be soulful ballads for 10 years. Angry guitars are back. I'm waiting Congratulations. For I'm waiting for the day. Right? Or jangly guitars. Give me jangly guitars. Oh, that sounds great. Some jangly goth guitar. I'm there. But I think if you look back, actually, uh, you know, so Bjork emerges, re-emerges in 93. The birthday party, presumably, ostensibly, the formation of a, you know, Sugar Cubes-like act is, is early 80s, right? Early 70s, you've got, you know, all the kind of proto-disco. Yeah, yeah. You've got... But you've also got, like, Towards the tail end of the 60s and the start of the 70s, you got Beat is in there. Yeah. You got these confused little movements that are allowed to crop up in those spaces. Yeah. And it's a really fertile period for pop music. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I feel like, and people can feel free if you're not listening to this in 2017, 2018, to mock and deride me for this prediction. I feel like we are starting that now. I, we're about due. Because... Yeah, we're about due. I don't remember if I've mentioned this on a previous, but I'll say it again if I have. Kesha came back this year with an angry ballad. Taylor Swift is back, and the backlash against her has been medium to severe. And Katy Perry put out a record this year that bombed so badly that you forgot that it came out until I reminded you just now. Ah. All of the old guard pop sing singers from the 2010s appear to be cycling out. Yep. And leaving a lot of space for whatever you think about it. So the backlash cycle has started. Yeah. Now we have to wait for that to die off enough and the music programmers to go, Dear Lord, what are we, we going to play? Because it's have, not going to be Taylor we Swift. We have to put in something. And she's been in rotation four times an hour <laughs> for ten years. Find anything. anything. Go out there and just find something to play. Throw it in. That's it. Something new. Let's throw it in there. It should have a saxophone. I'm going to say it right now. I think saxophones do for a comeback. I believe that we are about a year and a half off a ska revival. Excellent, which is always fantastic. Um, is is the odd number decade year that ends with eight? Yes. Fifty seven, fifty eight was Jamaican ska. Yes. Seventy seven, seventy eight was British ska. Ninety seven, ninety eight was American ska. Yes. So in about a year, we're going to be all listening to Korean ska. Yeah, South Korean ska. That sounds great. I think that's what it is. I'm super on board with that. It's going to be fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait for to see the next thing. I wasn't. I wasn't super in tune with this cycle. I gotta admit. I had to be. I have it playing at work constantly. It mm. allowed me to develop opinions on the pit bull through to Despacito cycle. Wow, that's that sounds terrible. You know, <laughs> it had some moments. <laughs> My enjoyment of Drake is very genuine. Okay, but I mean, uh, I, think, I think Drake stands outside. Pitbull is at least having a great time. Do you think we'll see the return of a Ska Bieber? Oh, 
I mean, I hope not. Perhaps he's the Brian Setzer of our age who just keeps reinventing himself with for, a for trendy each, new image. image for decade. each new uh, generation. Right, the greaser. A beeper. The big band leader. Right. <laughs> oh. A beeper for all seasons. If in 30 years, Justin Bieber is the artist that is most remembered from this era. <laughs> I mean, I guess he could be. The one who stood at the back from NSYNC, but they couldn't fire him because he wrote the songs, is the biggest pop star in the world and has been for 20 years. That's true. We clearly don't know until we're looking back on it. Well, and I think there's kind of a 10-year, uh, of course, train wreck reconciliation cycle you got to factor in as well. Right? Taylor Swift's just starting her train wreck years. I mean, maybe. Maybe she'll pull out of it. Maybe isn't that what we always say though? Maybe maybe Lindsay'll show up for work. Yeah, not but coked out of her mind. Sometimes they do. At so, this at so, this moment, sometimes they do. The T Swift backlash is one song everyone hates. <laughs> if if the rest of the record kills it, I will admit it's still early days. But let's not forget that Lindsay Lohan will someday be our Dame Helen Mirren. <laughs> <laughs> she just was so charming in me. <laughs> I mean, who goes back to Helen Mirren's backpack catalog? I would. But have you? Not to this moment. There are some I am enjoying... love bugs in there, I will guarantee you. I have at this moment enjoyed Helen Mirren's reinvention as an action movie star. And that's where Lindsay's going to be when she's 90. She will be ass. co-starring in Fast and the Furious Part 48. I will say, kids, there were times when we didn't know she was going to make it. And the kids will have no idea what you meant. No, they won't even be my kids. I'm just talking about kids on the street. No, I would think. No, you don't want to... <laughs> oh, no, I'm out of that pool. No, you don't want to tell your kids about Lindsay Lohan. I mean, you have to tell your kids about Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> but nobody wants to tell their kids about Lindsay Lohan. That's why we have to teach our kids about Lindsay Lohan in schools. You can't trust all parents to do it. It's an uncomfortable subject. That's so true. Right? That's so true. Yeah, she might come back. She's still in it. She's still kicking. That's it. She's coming back. Didn't she make that Marilyn Monroe movie nobody watched? I didn't watch it. So didn't she make roughly two-thirds of that Marilyn Monroe movie? I, I feel like Delete her, as appropriate. <laughs> or a computer-generated version of her head made a lot of that movie? I'll buy that. I, I feel like. Yeah. I, I gotta warn you now, too. I'm two episodes from the end of the season of BoJack Horseman, so... Ooh. Just... Ooh, two episodes? Yeah, easy on the spoilers. You haven't heard the bad one yet. No, no, this uh, is easy on the spoilers. Look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be uh, tonight after this, so I'm going to have a few beers and then enjoy Mr. Horseman and then cry myself to sleep in the corner. That is an excellent way to spend your time. Yeah, I mean, that's the BoJack way. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely, since uh, the inner monologue episode, Oh, uh, there's been a little voice in the back of my brain constantly going, Drink whiskey and watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great advice because it's terrible advice. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so Bjork got out of this. She released three of the most important records of the 90s. She's been a fixture on alternative radio since. She did a record with Timbaland during that year and a half period where by law Every record had to be produced by Timbaland or Timberlake or both of them. So she fulfilled her contractual obligations. Yeah, yeah. 
She had to. And I still don't completely understand how she got there from weird experimentalist Icelandic. There's a country song in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, The person playing the trumpet, if I were told that they were self-taught, it would shock me zero much. (laughs) It is a lot of ingredients. It is the musical equivalent of whatever's in the fridge, throw in a pot and see if it works. But sometimes that's brilliant because you get things you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Yeah. Which is what I think you've got here. How did she, you know, make that transition into, into super stardom? I don't know. There's, there are legends that people like to tell themselves about Bjork, like that her music is super pretentious <laughs> and inaccessible. That's one that I hear a lot, that people are like, oh, I just can't get into that Bjork after the swan dress. Really? Because that's a dress, not a song. Yeah, totally. But I think it kind of created this public image that says Bjork might be too smart for you. <laughs> and, and yet... Which is weird, because I do find it a very intuitive sort of music. I think if you're open-hearted, I think there's, there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. I mean, she's not 23 years old anymore. No. But I feel like the same sense of play that was there front and center... On Life's Too Good. She's kind of a wood sprite. I mean, that's... She is. She is. So, yeah, there, there is a, a, a kind of fairy magic to the whole thing. that I think that sense of naivete a little bit still pervades, but in a super charming way. That it is still playful. It is not as contrived as what a lot of people are doing. But yeah. That's not to say not well thought out. I think, you know, people think you need a, an art education to appreciate the art. But she does, she feels like one of the few artists, well, ever, but certainly one of the few working today, who genuinely does not consider how her work will be received as she's making it. Yes. It doesn't feel like a matter that is relevant to her. She managed to get all over the radio and everywhere by doing that. Uh, She has, in more recent years, fallen off the radio. And it doesn't seem to bother her. But she's also been on places like, uh, you know, the Colbert Report. She's played some big, big TV shows, uh, things like that. And it, I don't think she's off the radar. She's stage. not off the radar. Which, but, is, which is nice. But yeah, I think the radio is largely given up. She's not radar. front and center slugging it out with the pop stars of the day. It could still happen. It could still happen. Yeah, it's still in the mix. Cubes 4. And in the meantime... She still has a very devoted base on whom she can count. Sugar Cubes for when the man comes around. I would pay $100,000 on credit and figure out how to get the money later <laughs> to hear the Sugar Cubes cover <laughs> when the man comes around by Johnny Cash. Come on, let's do it. Let's get a Kickstarter together. Now, because this I'm presuming that Bjork would just do it because it's fun. That right. seems very much on brand for her. Yes, yes. But get some money together for some studio time and make this happen. That's exceptional. Now, of course, because this is the internet and everything that we've said now is chiseled in stone and lasts forever, I fully expect this podcast will be entered into evidence someday and also that we can expect the sugar cubes. I should hope. When the man comes around. I should hope. Hashtag when the sugar cubes come around. <laughs> Hashtag that. I don't know. Wait, hold on. 
Why are we entering this into the record? I was offering to pay them. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. This, I, I, this doesn't benefit me in any way. I, I it really, was your idea the whole time, Sugar Cubes. I feel like this might have been a mistake. <laughs> I deeply regret offering so <laughs> much money that I will never earn. <laughs> We're going to write a really great user agreement. That sounds great. That, that starts when you push the play button. So if, that you cannot come after us for Sugar Cubes. Moment. Well, we'll just Kickstarter it. Yeah, it feels fine. I, you know, sometimes sometimes I do think, like, is Eddie Vedder going to be the, the Johnny Cash for us? Where he'll just be, like, 90, and everybody's like, yeah, but it's Eddie Vedder. I mean, you got to go to his show, you got to buy his album, and he'll be doing, like, awesome, fresh stuff, but he'd be, like, 90, yeah, doing his thing. Is it Eddie? I think so. I mean, Eddie Vedder's the last grunge frontman. Eddie, are you okay? Did somebody check on Eddie today? Send him a muffin basket or Everyone something. Everyone form a protective circle yes. around Eddie Vedder. Because we are okay. running out of grunge front men. Be checking in. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think Eddie's doing all right. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like I wouldn't know if he wasn't. Like, are, in, in, is his speech any clearer than his singing? Uh, from what I've seen in interviews, yes. Excellent. Uh, so he can ask for help if he needs He 100% can. Excellent. Yes. That's good he had... Kind words to say about this town the last time that they were in town. That's fabulous. Right? And I, yeah, I think, I think Eddie stands a good chance. I should hope so. Because we need him right now. Or, or, or maybe Mr. Nicky. So many, we were all so flippant about how many really debilitating, depressive drugs our rock stars were on during the 90s. And here we are, running rapidly out of them. Yes, absolutely. And I think, it, you know, it maybe sheds a little bit of light on how hard that road is for people. You know, I think the, uh, the fame and the spotlight and all that is uh, it's tricky. It's exhausting. People love and support you and are willing to be there for you, but they also do expect a lot from you in return whether you are available to give it to them or not. You know, I, I had a conversation about this the other day, too, and we kind of kicked around the idea, maybe the grunge rock stars kind of had the roughest time of it. Because they started when a rock star still got paid like a rock star. Mm. Right? You still had the big record deals going on. You still had the, you know, money for an entourage, and a great big stinky drug habit, going to burn the world down. And then their career sort of spanned that decade where all of that dried up. Oh. Right? So they just got the taste. They just got into the lifestyle. Now, there's no money. There's no... You got to tour constantly. And they kind of got the the bum end of the 70s rock star stick. That's true. Right? The very tail of it. Yeah. I'd buy it. Who was the last really blockbuster record releasing act? I mean, I guess... I it begs definition. That's are, true. Are we talking about Spotify plays? Are we talking about downloads? Like, how are we talking about... You're talking about sales. We're talking about people who are actually going out and paying you for your music. Bought a physical object. I am aware of how little artists get paid from Spotify. You will not carry a massive cocaine habit based on that. <laughs> you can barely carry a food habit, a regular-sized food <laughs> habit on that. <laughs> I mean, like... I guess the last blockbuster was the second Adele record, and it was the biggest selling album of two consecutive years in order to post those numbers. 
She seems to be doing okay. She's, she seems fine. And she's great. She deserves it. Good oh, for her. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as far as singles go, is Blue Monday still the top-selling single in the UK? It's the top-selling 12-inch of all time. Okay. So I guess that fell out of favor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right around that. <laughs> 100%. I think singles, I don't know if it still is the case, but I th I know for a while singles were doing better than they ever had before since the 1950s or 60s because you could iTunes one song and then listen to the actual song that you want to listen to Yes. rather than paying $12 for Savage Garden because you can't get that one Chicka Cherry Cola song out of your head. And your only option is to buy 11 other songs. Now I'm against picking and hunting singles. Because the album experience should be something exceptional. Yeah, now, it's very rare that that happens. But by being a singles guy, we were talking about this before we hit record. I only know David Bowie through a Greatest Hits album. Yeah. Right, which is just the radio singles. It's like, you want to buy a disc of radio singles? Fantastic. You know what I've missed? Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Yeah, you've missed the plot. I've missed, yeah, I've missed the plot. It's it's like going to the uh, cinema and just watching all of the explosions from every Michael Bay film stitched back to back. Yes, there's a lot of explosions. And, you know... Some of them are great. Absolutely. In isolation, the camera was flying so slowly and through that jar of mayonnaise or whatever the hell it was doing. Fantastic explosion. However, there was a movie around that explosion. Yeah. Although, on the other hand... It was a Michael Bay movie. I'm not and similarly, I, there are definitely artists. I'm not saying that only work for be about Santa three Esmeralda. minutes. I'm not. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you've only heard Barbie Girl, you've probably had a fairly full Aqua experience. I, I can't vacuum that fast, so I have listened to more of the album than that. Fair enough. I listened to it several times at the time, <laughs> but. <laughs> Speaking of underappreciated albums. Yeah, that was a fun one. That one might be up there. I got a place in my heart for punk. Yeah. Obviously, from the fact that I'm doing this at all. Yeah. <laughs> so you have now heard Life's Too Good by the Sugar Cubes three times. Answer me questions. One, will you be listening to this album again in the future going forward? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't know how I missed it for so long. My sister and I got together and we invested in the Sounds of the 80s discs from... Time life. Oh, yes. Back in the 90s. Because, uh, you know, we could have spent thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours looking for all of those singles. But there they were, prepackaged for us. Convenient. One of the tracks that I had always skipped was Birthday. It was hmm. sitting there right under my nose. Huh. But out of context, as a single, just didn't seem that important. It sounds weird on the radio. Yeah. But now, going back from the album perspective, I was actually listening through the discs on a road trip recently, and Birthday comes on, and I'm like, how... Did I miss this? Nice. Which I assume I already know the answer, but I'll ask the second question. Will you be uh, exploring more from this artist going forward? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I have to admit, too, that my Bjork knowledge is spotty. Fair. It's spotty. You know, absolutely, debut, Selma songs. Selma songs. Selma songs was great. Yeah, bloody awesome. And, and some of the later stuff, uh, you know, Biophilias and uh, yeah. know, things like that, is... Uh, yeah, definitely music I play. But I think I love Bjork more than I give her credit for. And it's, I think what slows me down is exactly what you said before, is that it's not music that you can just put on in the background or chill to or 
You've got to be there with her. That's the yeah. thing. You've got to put that time in. It's music that expects something from you. It's a conversation somehow. Yeah. 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 And you have to have that time to put into it. Right on. So, so my advice to you, if you're going to go out and listen to the Sugar Cubes, gentle listeners, is, uh, is take your album, make some time, make a special date, you know, open a bottle of wine, maybe buy the vinyl. Comes in different colors. You could go broke just collecting. Life's too good. Various pressings. Drop the needle. Just let it happen. Have an experience. Have an experience. Just go for the ride. And that's the beauty of, of any great album, is that it's a ride. One track bleeds into the next. Themes are developed over greater periods of time than a single allows. Get out there, listen to some albums. Don't be a singles person. Specifically this one. This one, yeah. This week, let's go get it. And finally, uh, if you could pick one track from this album, now that we have talked about how tracks in isolation do not give you the full experience. Yes. <laughs> to close the show, what would you pick? Strangely, Sick for Toys. Sick for Something toys. about the idea of being sick for toys just seems like the perfect 80s sentiment. That does seem great. <laughs> All right, we're doing it. We're closing out on uh, Sick for Toys. I have been Chris. With me has been Eric. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, review us on iTunes or whatever podcatching service you choose to use instead. We will see you in two weeks' time for different Icelandic pop music. Talk to you later. Later.